Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. I know that you're dying to get to the picture of Dorian Gray, but first, before we start all of that, I just want to let you know about our sponsor for this mini-season. Hemlock Creek Productions is a post-production audio studio based in Chicago, Illinois. Founded by audio editor and sound designer Marissa Ewing, Hemlock Creek Productions is Marissa's response to a growing need for remote audio editing services. While based in the United States, Hemlock Creek Productions has worked with clients and vocal talents across multiple countries and languages. They've provided their expert editing services on a variety of projects including podcasts, films and video games. In addition to providing editing services, Hemlock Creek Productions also strives to work on projects that highlight diversity, both in the stories being told and the people that tell them. As a queer and black-owned business, they believe diversity is a strength and look forward to working on projects that reflect the same values. Hemlock Creek Productions will also be releasing its first original podcast, Liars and Leeches, in 2023. Follow the story of Tonya in this supernatural horror podcast as she grieves a sudden familiar loss. But soon her grief will bring someone, or something, into her life in ways she could never have anticipated. That's Liars and Leeches, available on all good podcast apps in 2023. But to learn more about Hemlock Creek Productions, please visit hemlockcreekprod.com or follow them on social media on Twitter and Instagram at hemcreekprod. So there we go. And now it is time for Dorian Gray. Shadows at the Door is a podcast designed to scare and delight you. We are at times explicit and produced for an adult audience. To see if this episode is for you, consult our show notes for a list of content warnings. Previously on The Picture of Dorian Gray. My dear fellow, I congratulate you most warmly. It is the finest portrait of modern times. Tell me more about Mr. Dorian Gray. How often do you see him? Every day. I couldn't be happy if I didn't see him every day. He is absolutely necessary to me. Basil, I must see Dorian Gray. Harry, don't spoil him. You have a wonderfully beautiful face, Mr. Gray. Oh, don't frown, you have. 
Realize your youth while you have it. Live. Live the wonderful life that is in you. If it were I who was always to be young, and the picture that was to grow old, for that... For that I would give everything. My dear Harry, my dear Basil, you must congratulate me. So it's true, Dorian? You're engaged? <laughs> it is true, yes. How badly I acted tonight, Dorian. When you were ill, you shouldn't act. You make yourself ridiculous. My friends were bored. I was bored. Dorian, you had made me understand what love really is. I will never see you again. I will never think of you. I will never mention your name. Dorian. Dorian! Let go of me! Dorian, please, no! Let go! Oh, don't leave me! Don't leave me! My letter, now, don't be frightened, was to tell you that, that Sybil Vane is dead. Victor, answer me, or I shall... What? Surely my wish has not been fulfilled. Such things are impossible. And, and yet... And now, the continuation. Oh, do excuse me. You've caught me having breakfast. Dorian, I'm glad I found you. <laughs> well, a man can often be found at the breakfast table when it is breakfast time, Basil. Uh, yes, um, quite right. Victor let you in, I suppose? He did, yes. I called last night, in fact, but Victor said you were out with Lord Henry for the entire day. But I knew that would be impossible after what I'd read in the Globe about poor Sybil. I can't tell you how heartbroken I am about the whole thing. And suicide, no less. I dare to know what you must suffer. I wish... I wish you'd telegraph me, Dorian. I passed a dreadful evening, half afraid that one tragedy had followed another. Basil! But where were you, really? Did you go down and see the girl's mother? Why ever would I do that? What? I thought you'd want No, to... I was, in fact, with Harry. He brought me the news, consoled me, and then we went to this charming club of his, as a matter of fact. They have the most exotic women there. Let me tell you, they do the things that you they can do. You went to a club? You went to the A Club before Sybil Vane has even the quiet of a grave to sleep in? Why, man, there are horrors in store for that little white body of hers. Stop, Basil, I won't hear it. You must not tell me about unpleasant things. What is done is done. What is past is past. You call yesterday the past? It was the evening before yesterday, if you must know. But what has the actual lapse of time got to do with it? It is only shallow people who require years to get rid of emotion. A man who is a master of himself can end a sorrow as easily as he can invent a pleasure. I don't want to be at the mercy of my emotions. I want to use them. To enjoy them. 
and to dominate them. Dorian, this is horrible. Something has changed you completely. You look exactly the same wonderful boy who day after day used to come down to my studio to sit for his picture, but you were simple, natural and affectionate then. You were the most unspoiled creature in the whole world. Now, now I don't know what has come over you. You talk as if you had no heart, no pity in you. It's all Harry's influence, I see that. I owe a great deal to Harry Basil. More than I owe to you. You only taught me to be vain. Well, I am punished for that, Dorian. Or shall be someday. I don't know what you mean, Basil. I don't know what you want. What do you want? I I want the Dorian Gray I used to paint. <laughs> you are too late for that, Basil. Is that really true? You have not realised how I have developed. I was a schoolboy when you knew me. I am a man now. I have new passions, new thoughts, new ideas. I am different, but... Oh, you must not like me less, dear Basil. I'm changed, but you must always be my friend. Of course, I am very fond of Harry, but I know that you are better than he is. You are not stronger, you are too much afraid of life, but you are better. And how happy we used to be together. Don't leave me, Basil, and don't quarrel with me. I am what I am. There's nothing more to be said. Hmm. <sighs> Come, sit. Have breakfast with me. No. Thank you. I've eaten. I won't speak to you again about this horrible thing after today. I only trust your name won't be mentioned in connection with it. The inquest is to take place this afternoon. Have they summoned you? No, they don't know who I am. Or at least they don't know my name. Surely she did. Only my Christian name. And that I am quite sure she never mentioned to anyone. She told me once that they were all rather curious to learn who I was, and that she invariably told them my name was Prince Charming. <laughs> it was pretty of her. You must do me a drawing of Sybil, Basil. I should like to have something more of her than the memory of a few kisses and some broken pathetic words. I will try and do something, Dorian, if it would please you. But you must come and sit for me yourself again. I can't get on without you. I can never sit to you again, Basil. It is impossible. Nonsense. Do you mean to say you don't like what I did of you? Where is it? Is this it? Here? Why have you pulled the screen in front of it? Basil. Let me look at it. It's the best thing I've ever done. Do take the screen away, Dorian. It is simply disgraceful your servant hiding my work like that. I felt the room look different as I came in. Basil! <sighs> my servant has nothing to do with it. I did it. Quite capable of arranging my own rooms. But why? The light was too strong on the portrait. Too strong? Surely not, my dear fellow. It is an admirable place for it. Let me see it. Basil, you must not look at it. I do not wish you to. Not look at my own work? You're not serious. Why shouldn't I look at it? If you try to look at it, Basil, on my honour, I will never speak to you again as long as I live. I'm quite serious. I don't offer any explanation, and you are not to ask for any. But remember, if you touch this screen, everything is over between us. Dorian... Don't speak. Well, of course I won't look at it if you don't want me to. But really, it seems rather absurd that I shouldn't see my own work. Especially as I'm going to exhibit it in Paris in the autumn. Exhibit it? You want to exhibit it? 
You told me a month ago that you would never do such a thing. In fact... Aha! Harry said if I ever wanted a strange quarter of an hour to ask you why you wouldn't exhibit your picture. He said you told him, and it was a revelation. What was your reason for refusing to exhibit my picture, hmm? We have each of us a secret, it seems. <laughs> Let me know yours, and I shall tell you mine. Dorian, if I told you, you might like me less than you do. Oh, no, Basil, you must tell me. I think I have a right to know. If you wish me never to look at your picture again, I'm content. I always have you to look at. No, Basil. What is it? Hmm? Was there something hidden? Something curious? Something of which you dare not speak? You... You saw that? I saw something in it. But you tell me. Tell me what I saw. Dorian, Dorian, I, I need some space. But of course. Thank you. Dorian, from the moment I met you, your personality had the most extraordinary influence over me. I was dominated, soul, brain and power by you. You became to me the visible incarnation of that unseen ideal whose memory haunts us artists like an exquisite dream. I worshipped you. I grew jealous of everyone to whom you spoke. I wanted to have you all by myself. I was only happy when I was with you. When you were away from me, you were still present in my art, of course. I never let you know anything about this. It would have been impossible. You would not have understood it. I hardly understood it myself. I see. But I knew that as I painted you, every flake and film of colour seemed to reveal my secret. I grew afraid that others would know of my idolatry. I felt, Dorian, that I had told too much, that I'd put too much of myself into it. Then it was that I resolved never to allow the picture to be exhibited. Yes. I told Harry, and he laughed at me, but I didn't mind. Well, after a few days, the thing left my studio, and as soon as I had got rid of the intolerable fascination of its present, it seemed to me that I had been foolish in imagining that I had seen anything in it, more than that you were extremely good-looking that I could paint. And so, when I got this offer from Paris, I determined to make your portrait the principal thing in my exhibition. It never occurred to me that you'd refuse. I see now that you were right. The picture cannot be shown. You must not be angry with me, Dorian, for what I've told you. What have you told me? Simply that you felt that you admired me too much, and that is not even a compliment. It was not intended as a compliment. It was a, it was a confession. Now that I've made it, Something seems to have gone out of me. Perhaps one should never put one's worship into words. It's a very disappointing confession. Why? What did you expect? You didn't see anything else in the picture, did you? There was nothing else to see. I can't explain it to you, Basil. 
and I must never sit for you again. There is something fatal about a portrait. It has a life of its own. You mustn't talk about worship. It is foolish. You and I are friends, Basil. And we must always remain so. Yes. Yes, you're right. Of course. Well, then. Goodbye, Dorian. I'm sorry you won't let me look at the picture once again, but that can't be helped. I quite understand what you feel about it. Goodbye, sweet Basil. I'll come and have tea with you soon. Please do. Poor Basil. You really have no idea, do you? Well, I cannot permit the risk of discovery again. Victor! Victor, come here at once and bring me the keys to the attic. I'm so sorry, Harry. You've a healthy habit of making me wait, Dorian. Though, of course, I was late as well, just slightly less late than you. (sighs) Yes, one day we shall be on time, and it will cause the most outrageous scandal. (laughs) Only the dull would consider such a thing scandalous, Dorian. A man who arrives on time tells the world he has nothing better to do. That is the scandal. (laughs) But really, it is entirely your fault. That book you gave me so fascinated me that I forgot how the time was going. Yes, I thought you would like it. I didn't say I liked it, Harry. I said it fascinated me. There is a great difference. I'm pleased to see you have discovered that. And I'm glad it has taken your mind off things. My mind has been little place else, despite Basil's best intentions. Our friend has been to see you, has he? Well, yes, it was in all the morning papers, after all. Quite so. Do we have gin ordered? No, I'll wave the girl. Thank you. Oh, but the book, Harry. Oh, my, this book. The hero, the wonderful young Parisian in whom the romantic and the scientific temperaments are so strangely blended has become to me a kind of prefiguring version of myself. And indeed, the whole book seems to contain the story of my own life, written before I have lived it. (laughs) I must buy more copies, placing a one in each room of my home. Uh, Exactly. I knew these pages would have to fall into your hands sooner or later. It was apparent to me shortly after our introduction. I'm so grateful, Harry. And what of Basil? You spoke of his mood. I suppose he was very theatrical about recent events. (sighs) He was terribly upset about the news of Sybil, yes. And upset further at my own lack of despair. Oh, my dear boy, it has been two days. Much as I said, the roses are not less lovely for all that has happened, and the birds sing just as happily in my garden. Quite right. The one charm of the past is that it is the past. Hmm. Although, I confess, though it is not my fault that this thing has passed, like you said, it has prevented my doing what was right, to love her again. I remember your saying once that there is a fatality about good resolutions, that they are always made too late. Mine certainly were. Good resolutions are useless attempts to interfere with scientific laws. Their origin is pure vanity. Their result is absolutely nil. They give us, now and then, some of those luxurious, sterile emotions that have a certain charm for the weak. 
That is all that can be said for them. They are simply checks that men draw on a bank where they have no account. You must get this thought out of your mind. Yes, you're right, of course. In the present case, what is it that has really happened? Someone has killed herself for love of you. I wish that I had ever had such an experience. It would have made me in love with love for the rest of my life. The people who have adored me, there have not been very many, but there have been some, have always insisted on living on long after I had ceased to care for them, or they to care for me. <laughs> Harry! Women never know when the curtain has fallen. They always want a sixth act, and as soon as the interest of the play is entirely over, they propose to continue it. You are more fortunate than I am. I assure you, Dorian, that not one of the women I have known would have done for me what Sybil Vane did for you. Hmm. Again, you have made sense of the world to me, Harry. But we will not talk again of what has happened. It has been a marvellous experience, that is all. I wonder if life has still in store for me anything as marvellous. Life has everything in store for you, Dorian. There is nothing that you, with your extraordinary good looks, will not be able to do. You really think so? I know it. The coming years will be very good to you indeed. Extraordinary piece of luck. I've been waiting for you in your library ever since nine o'clock. Finally, I took pity on your tired servant and told him to go to bed as he let me out. I'm off to Paris by the midnight train, and I particularly wanted to see you before I left. I thought it was... I thought it was you, or rather your fur coat as you passed me. But I wasn't quite sure. Didn't you recognise me? In this fog, my dear Basil? Why, I can't even recognise Grosvenor Square. I, I believe my house is somewhere about here, but I don't feel at all certain about it. I'm sorry you were going away, as I have not seen you for ages. But I suppose you'll be back soon. Uh, no. I'm going to be out of England for six months. I intend to take a studio in Paris and shut myself up until I've finished a great picture I have in my head. However, it wasn't about myself I wanted to talk. Ah, here we are at your door. Let me come in for a moment. I have something to say to you. I shall be charmed. But won't you miss your train? Uh, let me check my pocket watch. Ah, I have heaps of time. The train doesn't go till 12.15 and it's only just 11. In fact, I was on my way to the club to look for you when I met you. You see, I shan't have any delay about luggage, as I've sent on my heavy things. All I have with me is in this bag. 
and I can easily get to Victoria in twenty minutes. What a way for a fashionable painter to travel. A Gladstone bag and an Ulster. Come in, or the fog will get into the house. And mind you don't talk about anything serious. Nothing is serious nowadays. At least nothing should be. You see, your servant made me quite at home, Dorian. He gave me everything I wanted, including your best gold-tipped cigarette. He's a most hospitable creature. I like him much better than the Frenchman you used to have. What has become of the Frenchman, by the by? I believe he married Lady Radley's maid. But do you know, he was not at all a bad servant. I never liked him, but I had nothing to complain about. I have another brandy and soda. Thanks, but I won't have anything more. And now, my dear fellow, I want to speak to you seriously. Don't frown like that. You make it so much more difficult for me. What is it all about? I hope it is not about myself. I am tired of myself tonight. I should like to be somebody else. It is about yourself, and I must say it to you. I shall only keep you half an hour. Uh, half an hour? It is not much to ask of you, Dorian, and it is entirely for your own sake that I am speaking. I think it right that you should know that the most dreadful things are being said against you in London. I don't wish to know anything about them. I love scandals about other people, but scandals about myself don't interest me. They have not got the charm of novelty. They must interest you, Dorian. Every gentleman is interested in his good name. <laughs> Mind you, I don't believe these rumours at all. At least... I can't believe them when I see you. Sin is a thing that writes itself across a man's face. It cannot be concealed. People talk sometimes of secret vices, but there are no such things. If a wretched man has a vice, it shows itself in the lines of his mouth, the droop of his eyelids, the moulding of his hands, even. Somebody, I won't mention his name, but you know him, came to me last year to have his portrait done. I'd never seen him before, and I never heard anything about him at the time, though I have heard a good deal since. He offered an extravagant price. I refused him. There was something in the shape of his fingers that I hated. I know now that I was quite right in what I fancied about him. His life is dreadful. But you, Dorian, with your pure, bright, innocent face and your marvellous, untroubled youth, I can't believe anything against you. And yet, in the years since I've painted you, I see you very seldom, and you never come down to the studio now. And when I am away from you, and I hear all these hideous things that people are whispering about you, I don't know what to say. Why is it, Dorian, that a man like the Duke of Berwick leaves the room of a club when you enter? Well, I couldn't possibly... Why is it that so many gentlemen in London will neither go to your house or invite you to theirs? You used to be a friend of Lord Staveley. I met him at dinner last week. Your name happened to come up in conversation in connection with the miniatures you've led the exhibition at the Dudley. Staveley curled his lip and said that you might have the most artistic tastes, but that you were a man whom no pure-minded girl should be allowed to know, and whom no chaste woman should sit in the same room with. 
I reminded him that I was a friend of yours and asked him what he meant. He told me... He told me right out before everybody. It was horrible. Why is your friendship so fatal to young men? There was that wretched boy in the guards who committed suicide. You were his great friend. There was Sir Henry Ashton who had to leave England with a tarnished name. You and he were inseparable. What about Adrian Singleton and his dreadful end? What about Lord Kent's only son and his career? I met his father yesterday in St James's Street. He seemed broken with shame and sorrow. And what about the young Duke of Perth? What sort of life has he got now? What gentleman would associate with him? Stop, Basil. You are talking about things of which you know nothing. I know how people chatter in England. The middle classes air their moral prejudices over their gross dinner tables to pretend they are in high society. And what sort of lives do these people who pose being moral lead themselves? My dear fellow, you forget that we are in the native land of the hypocrite. Dorian, that is not the question. England is bad enough, I know, and English society is all wrong. That is the reason why I want you to be fine. You have not been fine. One has a right to judge of a man by the effect he has over his friends. Yours seem to lose all sense of honour, of goodness, of purity. You have filled them with a madness for pleasure. They have gone down into the depths. You led them there. Yes, you led them there. And yet you can smile, as you are smiling now. And there is worse behind. I know you and Harry are inseparable. Surely for that reason, if for none other, you should not have made his sister's name a byword. Take care, Basil. You go too far. No, I must speak, and you must listen. There are other stories. Stories that you've been seen creeping at dawn out of dreadful houses and slinking in disguise into the foulest dens in London. Are they true? Can they be true? When I first heard them, I laughed. I hear them now, and they make me shudder. I want you to have a clean name and a fair record. I want you to get rid of the dreadful people you associate with. Don't shrug your shoulders like that. Don't be so indifferent. You have a wonderful influence. Let it be for good, not for evil. <laughs> they say that you corrupt everyone with whom you become intimate, and that it is quite sufficient for you to enter a house and for shame of some kind to follow after. I don't know whether it is so or not. How should I know? But it is said of you. I am told things that it seems impossible to doubt. Lord Gloucester was one of my greatest friends at Oxford. He showed me a letter that his wife had written to him when she was dying alone in her villa at Mentone. Your name was implicated in the most terrible confession I ever read. I told him that it was absurd, that I knew you thoroughly and that you were incapable of anything of that kind. But you know, I wonder, do I know you? Before I could answer that, I should have to see your soul. To see my soul? Yes, but only God can do that.
<laughs> Why, you shall see it yourself tonight. <laughs> Come, Basil. It is your own handiwork. Why shouldn't you look at it? You could tell the whole world about it afterwards if you choose. Nobody would believe you. Come, I tell you. You have chatted enough about corruption. Now you shall look on it face to face. What? I shall show you my soul. You shall see the thing that you fancy only God can see. This is blasphemy, Dorian. You must not say things like that. They're horrible and they don't mean anything. <laughs> you think so? Come now, let me show Don't you. touch me! Come upstairs, Basil. I keep a diary of my life from day to day, and it never leaves the room in which it is written. I shall show it to you if you come with me. I shall come with you, Dorian. All I want is a plain answer to my question. That shall be given to you upstairs. Follow me. All will be revealed. insist on knowing Basil? Yes. I'm delighted. You were the one man in the world who was entitled to know everything about me. You have had more to do with my life than you think. Here, hold my lantern. Hmm. not been lived in for years. Never mind that. Let's shut the door behind you. And watch your step. I smashed a mirror not but yesterday. So, you think that it is only God who sees a soul, Basil? Draw that curtain back and you will see mine. You're mad, Dorian. We're playing a part? The curtains, Basil. Wait. Is that my painting? Very well, I'll open them myself. <gasps> Christ! What? What? What is this? Can't you see your own work, Basil? I... I don't believe it's my picture. Oh, it is. Can't you see your ideal in it? My ideal? There was nothing evil in it. Nothing shameful. You were to me such an ideal as I should never meet again. This... This is the face of a satyr. It is the face of my soul. No. No. It has the eyes of a devil. Each of us has heaven and hell in him, Basil. No. The thing is impossible. The room is damp. Mildew has gotten into the canvas. The paints I used had some wretched mineral poison in them. I tell you, the thing is impossible. <sighs> impossible. Years ago, when I was a boy, you met me, 
flattered me and you taught me to be vain. One day you introduced me to a friend of yours who explained to me the wonder of youth, and you finished a portrait of me that revealed to me the wonder of beauty. In a mad moment that even now I don't know whether I regret or not, I made a wish. Perhaps you would call it a prayer. I remember. My God. If it is true, and this is what you've done with your life, why, you must be worse even than those who talk against you say. Oh, God. It's as if something is eating it away. Pray, Dorian, pray. What is it that one was taught to say in one's boyhood? Lead us not into temptation. Forgive us our sins. Wash away our iniquities. Let's say that together. The prayer of your pride has been answered. The prayer of your repentance will be answered also. I worshipped you too much. I'm punished for it. You worshipped yourself too much. We're both punished. It is too late, Basil. Never. Those sort of words mean nothing to me now. No, don't say that. My God, don't you see that accursed thing leering at us? Basil. No. We must kneel down and try. If we cannot remember a prayer, isn't there a verse somewhere? The wind is clearing the fog. You've been listening to a Shadows at the Door production. Dorian Gray was played by Jake Benson, Basil Hallwood was played by Kareem Cronfley, and Lord Henry Wooten was played by David Alt. The story was written by Oscar Wilde and adapted by Mark Nixon. The original score was composed and performed by Nico Vitesi. The production was by Mark Nixon. Copyright held by Shadows at the Door Publishing. Join us next week for Act 3. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. Do it. And one just for the nerds. Do it. <laughs> Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it. 
Or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz. And how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.